We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFCE's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about the Week 17 in the AFC East. Chris, what a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Extra game. Extra game. Bonus land, baby. Taking a look at the standings, the Buffalo Bills are on top at 10-6. and six. They avoided an upset bid by the Falcons, ran the ball with authority in the snow, and in the process maintained their grip on a second consecutive AFC East title. New England, they had a hell of a rebound game against the Jaguars. I dominated them for their fourth win by 22 or more points this season, ensuring that their bid for a home playoff game still has a little bit of life to it. In Miami, they had one of the weekend's biggest letdowns in the entire league. The Dolphins, they, they dropped to 8-8, eight and eight, and in the process were all eliminated from 2021 playoff contention. And then the Jets, in one of the weekend's most surprising box scores, they narrowly missed upsetting the defending Super Bowl champion Buccaneers in what will be remembered as one of the most bizarre games of the 2022 NFL season. <sighs> Chris, if you're looking at this from a calendar perspective... 2022 just started. The Jets already have a footnote. Like, the butt fumble's a memorable moment in Jets history, right? It's a classic. Okay. Uh, what what other moments do they have? Uh, there was the time where Vinny Testaverde got... Uh, Vinny Testaverde, Jesus Christ. Joe Namath got drunk and tried to kiss that reporter. Susie Colber. Um, what else? What are some other moments that the Jets have had? I think Chad Pennington had like a really good game against someone once. <laughs> There's the Testaverde had the uh the the, the touch that was, I mean it was something good for him the touchdown before uh replay was implemented when they he was well short of the goal line but 
uh, the referees mistook it, the football on the side of the helmet as the actual football <laughs> and let that one go in. I think it was against the Seahawks. It got Dennis Erickson fired from Seattle. <laughs> uh, that's where we start this show, folks, talking about the New York Jets. And usually you'd hear Scott Mason right now. He joined us this week for our Rockpile Report podcast, which I'm sure you've all heard already. But one of the, we we talked to him a lot in that podcast about this week's uh, this week's game against Tampa Bay. In the process of doing that, we touched on all the things that the Jets were going to have to did in this contest against Tampa Bay, and what the Bills might have to do to try to avoid an upset, where the weaknesses may lie. Go check it out if you haven't already. But one of the things that we didn't get to touch on. The Antonio Brown situation, which has now added a new chapter of weird, dumb shit to the annals of Jets history. And Chris, this isn't a negative one for them, is it? No. It it, it might go down as one of the most hilariously unpredictable and yet believable meltdowns in NFL history. First of all, for anyone putting their fans, uh, just uh, putting their hands up to their head and going... <gasps> Oh my God! You know when you heard the news. Oh my God! I can't believe AB would do this. Really, really, you can't believe that a universe exists where a guy who threatened to fist fight a former GM who traded for him. Yep. Right. A guy who he was just celebrating on social media a week or two before. Uh, a guy who threw furniture off his balcony from like fifteen stories up and almost killed somebody. The guy who enjoys farting on his physicians and filming it for social media, which, I mean, Chris, I will admit, it's a power move, right? When when we were in eighth or ninth grade, farting on somebody was hilarious. Not so much, I don't know, once you uh, start paying taxes, develop a little bit of lower back soreness. Like, once you grow up, that stops being funny, right? Yeah. Okay. Faked a vaccine card so that he could skirt the NFL's vaccination policies and then got busted because he refused to pay his cook. Chris, if you let somebody, if you air your dirty laundry in front of people, you always write the check. You always pay them some hush money, right? Yeah. And yet here we are. So you can't believe that that guy pulled Avante Davis on steroids, chucked his pads and uniform into the stands, and then frolicked across the friggin' end zone like Chris, like a cheerleader, jogged out of the stadium on his way home, mid-game, like like a super athletic version of Napoleon Dynamite, just took off and ran out of the stadium on his way home. I saw a report that the um, security people almost tackled him because they thought he was a fan on the field. That was- might have made the situation. Chris, that's the only thing that could make this funnier. Yeah, I mean, well, he's not. Um, he took his uniform off. He has no shirt on. So it's not hard to mistake him for a a potential fan running on the field. Here's the crazy thing to me. And it's interesting. And I mean, I know we're cracking jokes about it, but here's essentially if I'm looking at it, if I'm trying to be a human about this, right? Because if I'm just being a snark, Chris, we're petty is our brand. If I'm trying to just be a snarky jerk about this, it's very easy to punch down and make jokes. And. I don't know. Do you call it punching down when the guy has, I don't know. He seemingly has life by the balls. He's got everything going for him. 
you look at some of the things that are coming out and they say his agent is obviously going to defend him, correct? And spread information that makes his client look You have to, better. but how, how can an agent defend that? I have no idea. I, but, but he will because that's how he earns his paycheck. The team is obviously going to condemn his behavior, correct? And they're going to say, listen, this wasn't injury related. If he was hurt that badly, we didn't know about it. Even though he didn't practice, right? They held him out of practice all week. And then they put him out there. And then a fight started about how he felt and whether he wanted to play. And then he got yelled at and then he snapped. Does he seem like the type of guy that you as a head coach can have a a, a civil conversation with? No. No. And you saw Mike Evans in the video trying to calm him down. Yeah. And then he's just like, fuck it. Finally, Mike Evans is like, listen, you're an idiot. I'm not talking to you about this. I'm just leaving. I'm not your babysitter. <sighs> there's something here that I think's being, and this is where I hate that we have to do this, but it's been on my mind ever since. The situation is hilarious. It will always be funny. But you think about this and you go, why is this guy such a mess? Well, here's something, right? So Ryan Clark, ESPN analyst now, Ryan Clark, once said that when he was on the team with Antonio Brown, he went to the coach and was like, don't ever, don't, don't pay that guy. His attitude sucks. His yeah, This sucks. That sucks. But there's a little bit more to that because you think about it, Chris, what happened? You never heard any anything about this. And even shortly after he got his contract extension, you didn't hear a lot about Antonio Brown being this gigantic problem for everybody, correct? Yeah. Okay, you're a fan of comedy. Always. Okay. Sam Kinison comes to mind. Heard of him. Okay. Sam Kinison, one of the kind of pioneers of raunchy comedy, right? Yep. Guys who were going to line step, guys who are seemingly out of control, wild men. Sam Kinison was a normal human being. He was, he was a great person. He was going to seminary school. Well... Traumatic head injury. <laughs> Traumatic head injury occurs, and it changes who he is as a person. They said his attitude shifted, and then even though he kind of went through with the whole seminary school thing, and he got older, he wasn't ever the same, and he was nastier, and he was shorter, and the next thing you know, he's doing cocaine, and he's on stage telling raunchy jokes, and everyone goes, where did this come from? Where did this guy come from? Roseanne Barr, another famous comedian who's since gotten in a lot of trouble for things that she's really wild things that she said. Well, it's kind of the same story. Head injury and all of a sudden their personality changes. Things go south. They well, first they become funnier. But that funny to you as the outsider is kind of the it's just them being crazy and seeing the world differently than you. And that's funny as long as it stays funny and it stops being funny when someone gets hurt. Look at Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit had severe CTE. I, I think his uh, brain was the, the 86-year-old Alzheimer's patient. Yes. Patient is... What those tests revealed when uh, when he passed away. I think back to where all of this sh stuff about Antonio Brown starts. And the thing I can't get out of my head is 
I saw live on TV Vontez Burfick try to kill that guy. That was a nasty headshot. It wasn't even nasty's not even the word for it. Like, remember when uh, what was it? Uh, who was it who was prosecuted in the NHL for assault? Steve Moore. Steve Moore is that it? Who did I he mean, hit? Donald Brashear? No, uh, Donald Brashear on Steve Moore. Okay, so Donald Brashear tried to kill Steve Moore with a hockey stick. Yeah, baseball swing to the temple. Yeah. There's certain things that transcend sport, and that's one of them. That headshot by Vontez Perfect absolutely transcends what football is. That guy should be in jail. Like that's that, that's criminal what he did there. And Antonio Brown was not okay. He had a severe severe concussion. And you could argue probably pretty severe <laughs> brain damage. I again, I can't get it out of my head that that incident occurs. And then all of the rest of this stuff follows. And now you start hearing the stories because you start hearing the stories about him mistreating people away from the game of football. You start hearing about how abusive he is to people that he has no business, his doctors, his massage therapists, his there's something here. I mean. And so in that way, like, I can't help for as much as I'd like to just heckle and say, well, this is one dude who's just crazy. I don't know, man. I think that this is what you have to look at. And you got to say, look, he he lived a football life. And unfortunately, he's he's one of those guys who took a headshot instead of being forced into retirement. He's still walking around. You know, it's like boxers, boxers who, hey, they died young. Well, yeah, because they didn't live long enough so that we could see them the way we saw we saw Muhammad Ali when he before he died. Literally unable to hold a pencil or a cup of water. We didn't see that. Antonio Brown is still out here walking around, but he's he. I would put Chris. I'd bet a lot of what I have monetarily that he's not okay. No, he's definitely got some. And there's no way mental. to fix. And there's no way to fix that. And some of it's the byproduct of what he's done here what he gave to the game of football. So while it is easy to make jokes and punch down, and I I get it, I even tweeted out a meme about it too. We all did. Just keep in mind that that's a dude. That's a dude whose life is just wrecked. And when it seems like, you know, when you ask yourself, Chris, you know, we talk about Occam's razor. (laughs) Is it that he's just this, he's so crazy, that he thinks this and he thinks that, and he thinks this is a good idea and he thinks that's a bad idea. That someone could, is it easier to believe that someone could think that all of the things he's done are good ideas? Or is it just that he no longer has control over that? I have no idea. That's, I mean, it's not for us to decide, but I just want it out there. I just want you guys to think about that. God, what a moment to go down in Jets history. (laughs) It's not going to make the one shining moment highlight tapes anytime soon. They, the Jets are now 16 and a half point underdogs against the Buffalo Bills. Chris, do you agree or disagree with that spread? Uh, I kind of agree with it because the, the Bills are playing for something. It's not like where they, uh, you know, you maybe you'll see a first half Josh Allen and we get out to a seven point lead and then you bring in biscuits for the second half. I think you're going to see all of our starters play all the way through. So we mentioned it in our uh, recap. Uh, podcast the Brett Coleman tweet he was wait hold up Josh Allen at 120 yards and three picks and the Bills still covered 13 and a half 
What in the world? Chris, it's hard to beat a football team like ours when you're as... I'd argue the Falcons are a better team than the Jets, correct? 100%. I believe they beat the Jets, correct? Yeah, Falcons, I did. Yeah, they beat the Jets. So then what... I just don't think that they have much hope for that. The only thing that could work in their favor as far as that spread goes is that maybe the Bills just don't have the time to run the score up on them. That's it. That's all I got. Like, maybe they just decide to take the air out of the ball late because they realize the Jets aren't moving the ball, and that's the reason they come out the other side. Otherwise, I don't know how this game does not end with the Buffalo Bills not only covering the spread, but hoisting an AFC's championship. And so that brings us to the Miami Dolphins, who got absolutely trounced 34-3 to by the Tennessee Titans. And here, as always, to talk to us about it is Elfartiaga from 3 yards per carry. Sir, how are you feeling after that one? Um, fine, I guess. You know, I didn't play in the I didn't play in the game, so it wasn't my fault. So, you know, I have no responsibility whatsoever for for what happened in that game. It just went bad. You know, score is seventeen to three. Tua hits uh, Waddle for the big forty five yard bomb, and they're cooking. And then all hell breaks loose as soon as they did that. The one good moment they had in the game that it it kind of looked like they were going to turn this thing around. And turned that game around, and all hell broke loose right after that. And I don't know if you saw the play that they ran after they completed the bomb to, no. to Waddle. It was ridiculous. It was a a three handoff flea flicker <laughs> that somehow ended up back in the hands of Tua, and then everybody was covered, and Tua just had to throw it away, or or he was going to get killed. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. And then of course you take the bad call, uh, but you know you, you had to get to the spot where it is a bad call. Yeah, which was on the fourth and eleven. Uh, Devontae Parker almost gets himself thrown out of the game because he complains about a, a defensive pass interference, which it was. It was defensive pass interference. But, you know, you, you completed a bomb to get down to, like, the 20. Well, what are you doing on 4th and 11 anyway? Well, why are you getting down to a 4th and 11? Yeah. You know? No. But still, yeah. Okay, that went bad against them. So maybe they make it a game right there, but they obviously weren't ready to play. And the quarterback wasn't very good. <laughs> Who was bad? Who was calling? Pl- I know you guys have co-offensive coordinators. Who was calling plays? Was it Cam Cameron? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 if it was Cam Cameron, maybe they would have been a little bit better. It was, <laughs> it was George Godsey, evidently, and I don't know. I don't understand what the hell they were doing, but it was uh, Gasecki threw a bomb. Uh, evidently, Gasecki has a has a cannon. <laughs> like I, I had no idea that Mike Gasecki had that good of an arm. Too bad he threw it into the stands, and if it would have been on target, it would have been to triple coverage to Waddle. So I don't understand what the hell they were doing. So I see, it was a complete lack of poise so, uh, so, by the entire team. Well, so this is it. So I see this tweet from uh, our, our friend Travis Wingfield. You know, he's he's a mutual friend of ours. He says, we're obviously upset today, and drastic proposals is one way of venting frustration, but I ask that we maintain perspective. We haven't had two straight winning seasons since 03. And that's still in play. We also saw more two-score wins the last two years than all of 14 and ni- through 19, 2014 through 2019 combined. Now, I'll say this. I was joking around about it, Chris. The last two months of Dolphins football and Dolphins fandom, I feel like we could all sit down with psychologists and study this thing for years because it's like an onion. You, it, there's layers to this. I mean, the team goes one and seven. 
to start the season. And people are talking about firing everybody from Greer to Flores to Tua to the guy who washes the jock straps. Then the team puts together one of the NFL's largest winning streaks. I don't know that a team has had that many in a row. All of a sudden finds themselves back in contention. And it was a moonshot, but in contention for a potential playoff spot. For a, a brief flickering moment, they held the seven seed. I, uh, the quarterback showing improvement. The offensive line showing a little bit of improvement. People start to praise the direction of things. They say, look... These Chris, this this draft class by class by Greer is amazing. This team is playing well. Our defensive structure looks really good. What we're doing, I like it. Tua looks like he's rounding into being something. And then, like almost a sense of cockiness starts to come back into things. And then, for the second time in two years, in a must-win football game, a Flores-led team from top to bottom is completely outclassed, blown out albeit with a different offensive line, different offensive coordinating staff, and different faces on the defense. Chaos ensues. Your fan base immolates itself. <laughs> like, just pouring gas on itself and like, 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 like a Buddhist protester setting itself on fire. And now, if you listen to the Pulse of Dolphins Twitter, everyone should be fired again. I saw someone in the Dolphins community claim that Jim Harbaugh, that's right, Failed San Francisco head coach and failed Michigan's Wolverine coach, Jim Harbaugh, wouldn't be a terrible idea. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. <laughs> Is that about where you guys are living right now? Pretty much. It's uh, we're at at that point right now. Um, you know, and I'm feeding some of it, too, you know, because, <laughs> you know, because yeah, think about it. If like imagine you're walking through a courtyard and. Twitter is essentially a courtyard, all right? You're walking through a, a courtyard and everybody around you is certifiably insane and possibly dangerous, <laughs> right? You, you would start agreeing with them, right? Like if they started telling you, I spoke to aliens last night, you would tell them, I did too. Uh, yeah, which too. ones were, were sure. the ones that you spoke to? Sure. Just stop yelling at me, you jerk. <laughs> exactly. Sure, I'm on your side. So Just I'm feeding some me. of this. I'm feeding some of this. And, and you know, and uh, the only, look, they're not going to fire Flores. Uh, they probably should fire Greer because he made some mistakes that were egregious. Okay. Namely uh, that 2020 draft. And of course what he's done to that offensive line, but how the hell are you going to fire a guy who just had one of the most, one of the best home run drafts you could have in the history of the sport, really. And definitely in the history of the, of the franchise. Guy got Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland. All three figure to be pro bowlers, maybe in the very near future. In my opinion, and you know, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a hyperbolic guy. Javon Holland should have been a pro bowler this season. He's one of our best players. No, he's going he, to have a draft like that and then can the guy after he has that draft. And it's almost though like a curse, right? Because you're like, oh, you've done so many things. To your point, there are some critical junctures where they failed to build this team, and this game really exposed them. Your offensive line gives up four sacks and only gets 74 yards rushing as a team. And on the defensive side of the ball, they they implemented so much of what they had. Draft capital, cap space, into building a secondary that teams would have a really difficult time throwing against because that's the nature of the NFL. 
you want to hang with the the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills, the Cincinnati Bengals, you have to be able to cover. And you not just have to be able to cover, you got to be able to cover three guys. You know, every the, the days of we have one star receiver and some guys who are so-so, the powerhouse teams in football right now are made up like the Rams with Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham and you know they're playing with uh who else did they have out there? Uh, if, well, Robert Woods, former Buffalo Bill before he tore his ACL, but yeah, Ben Jefferson's a nice player too. But yeah, and you guys it's like you have to have bodies on bodies on bodies in the secondary and the Dolphins said screw it. We're going to just revamp this thing. And in this game you only give up 110 yards passing but you still get 34 hung on you. Like that's <laughs> That speaks to not just, okay, we didn't make up the front seven the way we thought we did, but also we didn't dial up a game plan. Like our game plan did not work. And I think. Well, they ran. I don't know if you saw the, the numbers. You said 74 yards rushing. Look at the yards per carry the Dolphins ran for. <laughs> oh, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, Duke Johnson averaged over seven and a half yards per carry. He had 41 yards in the first half, then only had two carries for eight yards in the second half when it was still a game. Uh, they had three turnovers on their side of the field, allowed for four. Uh, I believe it was four drives that they started on the Dolphins' side of the 50. Okay. So so that obviously you know, doesn't help. Uh, no. The, 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 <laughs> the offense tends to do this to the defense from time to time. Oh, yeah. But the defense was not good. Ask the in Jets. This game. Ask the they Jets. allowed rushing yardage. They allowed – you know what this game really, really reminded me of? What happened to you guys against New England. That's what it reminded me of. Okay. From the beginning of the game, first of all, the, the weather conditions were horrific. It was a downpour, and it was under 40 degrees the entire game. It even got down to 26, and it was freezing rain. Uh, the the sideline reporter said that that it seemed like hail at one point. So what do we do? We decided to throw it 38 times and we only run it 16 times. <sighs> what do they do? They bring out three tight ends, and they run it 40 times on us. Yep. For almost 200 yards, or in fact, I think 200 yards. That's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of what what New England did to Buffalo a few weeks back. They <sighs> handled the conditions much better than we did. Well, and so that kind of leads me to the, I guess, the overarching point of this conversation that I want to get to. You, we've said it. You're a pragmatic guy. You don't believe in a whole lot of hyperbole. Like I've said, I, you you have a really interesting thread uh, for those of you listening at Elf Art underscore Artiaga on Twitter. He. Uh, has an th- interesting thread about Tua, Tua's future with the team. It, it like, you like to take the long view on things, and you you're very good at separating emotion from them. Which, Chris, you know that that's never been my strong suit. No, <laughs> not, not ever, not a day in my life. No. So n- knowing that, I want you to take a step back and look at this, and just what's happened to this season, and where this game ended, and where it left yet. If you had to look at this through the eyes of, let's say, you know, you're like a claims adjuster and you're talking about trying to assess blame and you need to give out a certain percentage. This person owns this much percentage of the situation between Chris Greer, Brian Flores and Tua Tagovailoa. Who where would you rank them in order of responsibility for the way that game went? Uh well, the individual game, it was absolutely uh, – Tua was terrible. Where they are, it has to be on Greer, then Flores, then Tua. Because two years ago, they stripped this this roster to absolutely nothing. And when I mean nothing, I'm talking about nothing redeemable. 
Like there was nothing on that team that you wanted. Okay. Uh, they win five games. Two years later, they go 10 and six. And this year they have a shot at, at nine and eight. And they still have a very, very young roster. And they, and they could have an excess of about 90 million in cap space coming up this offseason. Mm-hmm. So it looks like a pretty good situation, doesn't it? The problem is the offensive line is absolutely abject. It's, it's, there's one guy redeemable on the entire line, which is Robert Hunt, and they spent the resources on those other four guys. Yep. And then that hasn't helped your quarterback much. And then your wide receivers, they're just not reliable. They had $11 million on IR the entire season because Will Fuller essentially decided to be a liar and a thief, and he just took our money and left. <laughs> okay? He broke his finger. He ended up missing eight games with a broken finger, and the rumor is that the team hasn't even spoken to him in a month. So that tells you all you need to know. And who knows? Maybe in the offseason you're going to hear some news about the team trying to recoup some of that money because Will Fuller was just an absolute disaster. That was supposed to be their big home run get past Jalen Waddle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all of that is on Greer. Uh, he's the one who made that decision. He's the one who tried to go after Will Fuller after he 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 had a career year. And granted, it was elite, in my opinion. It was an elite season. Mm-hmm. But the guy has always been injury prone and never underestimate a guy who's always had soft tissue injuries. All of a sudden has an elite season after he's caught or he's popped for PEDs. I don't know. Well, color me suspicious. That was probably a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's okay? the, here's the funny thing. I think back to our off season conversations, our pre draft uh, you know, roundups, and you were the one who, ahead of free agency, said to Chris and I that this was going to be a Dolphins team that could see eleven new players between running back and wide receiver. Not because you had any reason to believe, like, not that you had inside knowledge, like, oh, they're targeting this guy or that guy, or that guy, but because. Even as an outsider just studying the game and watching what they were doing, you said, okay, they, they need this. <laughs> Hopefully it's high enough on their list because it seems like a no-brainer. So to watch them kind of ignore that. I mean, I know one of the biggest d- lim- limitations from Dolphins fans coming out of the draft was that there was no running back pickup. Your running back room is kind of bereft of high-end talent. Miles Gaskin isn't a bad player. He's just not anything special. Your offensive line, you needed a special running back, kind of like a Najee Harris in Pittsburgh situation. That offensive line stinks, but they got a very good player to play behind them. So when they when they play average or when they play offensive line that doesn't stink, what you end up with is this, I don't know, <laughs> it's like you end up in this place where they ignored that and said, no, it'll be fine, it'll be fine because we built this line. And then the line let everybody down. They built wide. They brought in a couple wide receivers who they said, "Don't worry, we don't need an overhaul because this will be fine." I get your point as to why Chris Greer is probably the problem because he's the one who keeps putting you guys in these situations with talents that can't. I don't know. They just don't seem like they're enough to get to it where he can be consistently not not an effective quarterback, but consistently a threatening quarterback. You know, if you stripped away all Joe Burrow's weapons, he'd probably be good enough to get by in the nfl but he wouldn't they wouldn't be the number three seed in the afc right now i can tell you that yeah no the problem with with chris career is that there is information out there to suggest that he absolutely ignored it eric studsville spent 
Everett Studsville went out to Wisconsin to work out Jonathan Taylor. Okay, that's our running backs coach, mm-hmm. highly touted running backs coach, who for a very long time under other coaches and other regimes kept bringing in great talents with late later round draft picks. We're talking about Lam- the Lamar Millers, Jay Ajayi, Kenyon Drake. All these guys had big years in the NFL. Those are guys that Eric Studsville found. He worked out Jonathan Taylor. He worked out J.K. Dobbins at the, the combine to the point where he had a private workout for Eric Studsville. And then J.K. Dobbins didn't participate. In the combine, so everybody was thinking, okay, that means that Dobbins is going to be a dolphin, probably in, high in the second round. That didn't happen either. So they tried to run it right back with the same running backs. They just added one running back in Malcolm Brown to be like the, I guess, the goal line guy. And then what are you left with? You're left with at the end of the season going out and getting guys off the street like Duke Johnson and Philip Lindsay, who actually look much better. Than everything you had before, <laughs> to the point to the, the point where part. to the point where, and I'm telling you this right now, I wouldn't mind Duke Johnson and Philip Lindsay to be the RB twos and the RB threes next year. See, but they need an RB one. They That's need it. they need a top guy and have those guys be the backups because you know it's it's just it, it, their problems are obvious and they should have been much more obvious to them now after this latest failure. So next week against the spread, the Dolphins are five and a half point underdogs for the Patriots. <sighs> that seems about right, considering what just happened. Is there any hope for you? I mean, is there? What are your emotions going into that one? Well, I expect them to win, and and Flores, you know, should be beginning to audition for his job and get the team up to play a good game against the Patriots. Patriots need the game, I guess, to try to avoid the Bills. I don't understand their, their, uh, uh, you know, if they can play themselves out of a of a matchup with the Bills and into a matchup with the Bengals. I don't understand how that works. But you know, I do expect the Dolphins to beat the Patriots, namely because I think they're the better team. I think they're better than the Patriots. They've won three out of the last four. They should make it four out of the last five, and Tua should go three and zero against Bill Belichick. Like that's what's expected. One result shouldn't change any of that stuff. So I think it's a hell of an audition for for Brian Flores, and especially Tua Tungavaloa. He has to bounce back after that performance against mm-hmm. Tennessee. They certainly have a way to go. Well, in the run up to it, I'll be I'll be listening to Three Yards Per Carry. Where can all of our listeners find it? Where can they follow Three Yards Per Carry and yourself on Twitter? You could get our latest podcast. Uh, just go to our Twitter account, the number three yards per carry. Uh, it should be on there. It's a two-hour episode. We did we we dropped an extended episode uh, to start this week. We will have a preview show later on in the week. But you can get our podcast anywhere you get your podcast: Spotify, iTunes. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Anywhere. And that leaves us with the New England Patriots. Crush the Jaguars 50 to 10. Chris, there was people who want to deride the Buffalo Bills because they're like, oh, the Bills barely beat the Patriots and the Patriots got this quarterback. Isn't that the same? There's so many, there's so much. I don't understand the weird dance that sports journalists have to do today, but the Patriots are a example of how stupid it all really is. I mean, think about this. For most of the season, they've been shoving down our throats this narrative that Mac Jones is a great quarterback, correct? Uh, yeah, the greatest ever since Tom Brady. Okay. So then he goes into a game against the Buffalo Bills and plays really poorly, and his team loses. I shouldn't say really poorly, but poor, Chris, 170-something yards. Played bad enough. Bad enough. You, He wasn't a difference maker for his football team, the way everybody wants to crown him as being one. And then they respond by absolutely blasting the Jaguars by 40 points, a team that beat us, right? It was their fifth win of more than 22 points this season, and Mac Jones throwing 10 or more air yards with 6 of 10 for three touchdowns. So against a really bad team with nothing to play for, they kind of... To me, Chris, this is like the equivalent of what our teams, you know, Alabama and Auburn. Every year we talk a little smack before the Iron Bowl. Yeah. Notice that both of our teams go out and schedule soup, like, like what do they call this, tomato cans? Cupcakes. <laughs> they, they, they get some cupcakes as a warm-up round. Doesn't that feel like what the Patriots just did here? They were like, oh, great, cupcake. Cupcake before the biggest week of our life, because if we win and the Bills lose, but it's against Miami, who... Has the chops to beat us. Well, yeah, but they're also out. So what are you really playing for? But it's also the place that you go and lose more like inexplicably lose more often than you should is down in Miami. If you're if you are the New England Patriots, one of the things I like about it, like, I don't know. I I like the fact that Mac Jones was 60 percent beyond 10 air yards downfield. Now, I don't know if it was blocking simply that. He had more open targets. I mean, Kendrick Bourne was coming off the COVID list for our game against them, and he wasn't really an he didn't make an impact. This one, he caught a 46 yard pass that set up a score. He threw for six individual gains of 12 or more air yards. That that's not nothing. It's not nothing. Or not air yards, but total yards. So it. And then you look at what they did, what else they didn't have. Ramondre Stevenson. And while people go, oh, well, D- Damian Harris is good and Ramondre Stevenson not being in the game shouldn't have made a difference. Ramondre Stevenson had 107 yards and two touchdowns. Chris, Damian, D- Damian Harris is good. But man, Chris, he really, I mean, you think about back to that first Bills Patriots game. Ramondre Stevenson was, uh, everyone remembers the big touchdown run by Harris. 
But Stevenson had nine missed tackles that he forced. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so when you think about that, do you conceivably, Chris, as the lay football fan, think that maybe if they had had Ramondre Stevenson in our game, maybe it does make a difference? Yeah, could you know Belichick likes to run the ball with multiple, multiple backs. Yeah, and in this one, he led the team again for missed tackles. Like that's that's what he brings you is elusiveness in the open field, but he can still run with power and speed downhill. He's a north south runner who has a little wiggle to him. I think in that way, you really, <laughs> I don't know, you you just look at what they accomplish and you go, listen, we can't let ourselves get wrapped up in this idea that we beat them because they're still a very good football team. I think given the quality of the opponent, though, do we take away... Because, Chris, they also blasted Cleveland. And I think Cleveland proved down the stretch this year that they're not a good football team either. They're not well coached. They don't have a lot of talent on both sides of the ball. They have some stars. They just don't have any real superpower. They don't have a threatening quarterback. I mean, if I pull this up in front of me right now and I say, okay, show me show me the New England Patriots schedule. Uh, the Saints, they lost. <laughs> so, so they lost to the Jameis Winston Saints. They lost to the Dak Pres- Prescott Cowboys. They narrowly beat the Justin Herbert Chargers. They dominated the Browns. They dominated the Falcons. They, dom- they dominated the Titans. When you start to whittle this down, they've done really well against teams with shit quarterbacks and bad coaching, correct? Yeah. Well, the Bills don't the Bills don't have that problem. And not for nothing, but now that that makes twice, three times in two years that we've beaten Bill Belichick. And if the Dolphins can do it this week, that'll make three times that they've beaten the Patriots in two years. What would that say? Like, I'm trying to get at what's at stake this week against Miami. What would that say about Bill Belichick and his ability to run this fo- run that football team and get them back to where they used to be on top of things? If you can go over a two-year span, 0 for 3 against Josh Allen and 0 for 3 against Tua. Excuse me, 1 and 3 in each category. Well, Belichick's always had problems with Miami. I know. Most of the time, they just they just split. Especially if they get a game early on in the season in Miami when it's hot out and Belichick's still trying to figure out what he wants to do on offense because it's historically known that the Patriots are now not good in September because they're still in preseason mode. Now, Elf is convinced that not only will his team cover the spread, but that they can beat this team. I don't think he's wrong because I think that, I, I don't know, I think that they have a real, the Patriots have a real problem when it comes to elite quarterback play because they don't have one. It's the first time in 20 years, and everyone goes, oh, whoa, it's Bill Belichick. The thing we all need to get past is that we've never seen Bill Belichick play without an elite quarterback. Well, excuse me, we did once. And guess what? He missed the playoffs. Sure, he won 11 games, but it doesn't matter. You missed the playoffs. So with that, I just, I I don't know, Chris. Negative five. Would you bet right now, Seagram's bet? Who would, if you had to make one right now today, who would you bet on? For Sunday, I think the Patriots are going to win the game. 
You think they'll win the game? Yeah. I'll take Miami. I'll take Miami just because. All right. Seagram's bet. Seagram's I'm not sure I've bet. had to drink one all year. I had to during a recap, and it fucking sucked. And that brings us to the Buffalo Bills. Now, as I alluded to earlier, you've got uh, our recap podcast featuring Hugo Carmona from Portugal. You've got our preview against the Jets featuring Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Chris, in another wild week in the NFL, we further shuffled the makeup of the postseason picture. I don't know that uh, there's ever been a season where there was so much up in the air going into the last week. Do you? Mm, No, not off the top of my head. I mean, I know there was some practice. The extra game is screwing with me. There was some there was some stuff going on when we made it. Remember, that's why all these games got moved to four o'clock. Yeah, because they were like, oh, there's three teams jockeying for a playoff spot. Well, right now, the entire seating could be thrown out of whack. I mean, the bills could end up, depending on the way Sunday's games roll out, as high as the two seed. Or as low as what the sixth seed. Now we can actually end up as low as the seventh seed. And playing the second-seeded Kansas City Chiefs, depending on the outcome of this week's games, which is crazy. It's it's just wild. I mean, it goes to show you how volatile this whole thing is and why it's so important that we win this football game this week. But so with that, I mean, you, you take a look at some of the ways things got shaken up. Jamar Chase powered Cincy to a 34-31 upset of the top-seeded Chiefs, making their seemingly inevitable second consecutive first-round bye very much in doubt. And not for nothing, but Jamar Chase won me my fantasy championship in the process. The Ravens lost a nail-biter to the Rams, and now their playoff hopes are less than 5%. Despite the fact that just two weeks ago they were the AFC North's division leader. Just another casualty of what's been a wild season of AFC football. And in the process, helped Buffalo clinch a playoff berth. And the Colts, with their improbable loss to the Raiders, set up the NFL's wet dream scenario. A potential win-and-in game between Vegas and the Chargers as they're going to battle for the seventh seed on Sunday Night Football to end the week if the 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. games break the right way. There still exists an opportunity for seven different teams to hold the seventh seed, Buffalo, New England, Indy, the Chargers, Raiders, Ravens, and the Steelers, which seems wild. And when you consider that there's so much volatility in the bracket, and with the AFC's championship still undecided and multiple seeding scenarios up in the air, it's hard to know what our rooting interests are for the week. So it all comes down to, for me, Chris, I think the conversation becomes, who do you think we'd be best off facing? So let's run through the, 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 the most, you know, if you use the playoff machine or you go to playoffstatus.com and you get the percentages of who we might face. The percentage odds for us to face the Patriots are the highest in the bunch at 33%. And as the Bills proved this season, it's really, really hard to beat a good football team twice in a single season. And that's why division games are must-see TV for most divisions, correct? It's actually, it's hard to beat a team three times in a season. Yeah. Can you, well, that's just it. According to PlayoffStatus.com, the Bills have the highest probability to play the Patriots for a third time in what would be the ultimate rubber match. And according to Peter King of Football Morning in America at NBC Sports, if that matchup were to transpire, there's a high likelihood that the NFL, given the profile of both of the teams and coaches involved, would make 
New England versus Buffalo in the wildcard round, their Monday night football matchup, now that that's being introduced to the slate of games. When you look at what they are, they're offensively limited, given their inability to, to have a really dynamic downfield passing attack. But their hard-nosed running style and defensive execution and turnover-happy play make them a pretty stiff opponent. And their familiarity with you and your coaching staff. The Colts, Chris, come in second at 28%. No, thanks. Yeah. A lot like the Patriots, the Colts are limited in what in what they are offensively. They just have one of the most electric players in the NFL in their backfield to ensure that Carson Wentz's erratic play doesn't really matter. They're a hot and cold team for sure, but they're one of the most physical in the on the offensive line in the entire NFL, which is repeatedly given Buffalo problems. I mean, you go back to that indie game. They just fed it to us. <laughs> just fed it to us for four quarters. It was it was embarrassing. The last one is the Raiders at 27%. And it's interesting to me because when you consider the up and down nature of the Raiders and what a friggin' season they've had, it's wild. Chris, find me one team in the NFL that this year has had their head coach fired midseason amidst a ton of controversy, a firestorm. One of its premier playmakers kicked off the team and out of the NFL for vehicular homicide that has lost so many players to injury both on their defense, on their offense, that has shuffled their offensive line. I think they have, they they lead that division in different offensive line alignments that they've had to put out there because of injury. They're interesting matchups for Buffalo because while Carr has been relatively solid down this stretch that they've been winning on to get them into playoff contention, their offense has three consecutive games with more than 320 total yards in which they've gone 3-0. and But, They've also scored less than eight points in eight of their 16 games. How does that happen? How do you score less than eight points eight times? It's not hard to figure out. How do you make the playoffs scoring less than eight points eight times? It happened to the Bills twice, and people are fucking livid about it. You still haven't forgotten that Jacksonville game. You think that that's the worst loss in the NFL this season? Yeah. Six to nine. It's the only time the Bills were held under ten. Nine to six, if you say it correctly. Okay. It's the only time that that's happened, and you can't get off of it. And yet here's a team who's done it multiple times. Wouldn't you like to face them? I don't mind facing the Raiders. And on defense, half the time, let's look at this, half the time they don't score well, and on defense against high-powered passing attacks because they're so thin at cornerback, they're the same team that let the Chiefs rack up 89 points in two games this season. So, Chris, power rank these for me. One through three from your favorite opponent to your least favorite. Raiders, Patriots, Colts. Colts would be, I don't want to see them. Then uh, the Raiders, and then number one would be Patriots. Why? Because I want to kick their head in, in the playoffs. So you're petty. Yeah. <laughs> See, I love it. You want that. You want to be able to rub it in Belichick's face. That, listen, it's yeah. over, old man. I would love to beat Belichick in the it's playoffs. Like, it's it's the literal SpongeBob meme. How many times do we have to teach you, old man? Like you, you want Sean McDermott and his young, young, young future Hall of Fame quarterback to just kick his skull off his shoulders in the playoffs in front of everybody. Yeah. So we can parade around and go. I don't think I'm alone in this either. Oh, I'm sure you're not. Logistically, 
I got to say, I want the Raiders first. I'd want the Raiders first, Patriots second, and Colts third. I think we all know why I don't want the Colts. I want the Raiders because I don't trust. They're they're a rudderless team without a real coach. I think that speaks to more of their offensive problems than anything else because wasn't Gruden their play caller? I think so. So it doesn't shock me that their offense struggles at times because you have a backup guy who was never supposed to be. Chris, most coaches go out like, and this is why I think I like defensive coordinators as coaches more so than the inverse. Defensive coordinators as coaches, like Sean McDermott goes, I need to get a guy to run my offense. And I need a defensive coordinator who I'm going to collaborate with to make my defense. Now, Sean goes out of his way to make it known that Leslie Frazier is still calling the shots on defense. And he applauds him when he has good games. Offensive head coaches tend to be their own play callers, don't they? Yeah. So that means that the guys behind you have no experience. Really. I mean, they're just, they're figureheads. They're assistants. They're not actual coaches. So now you've got one who's trying to run a football team and also be the offensive coordinator, and he doesn't have the credentials to hold up to that. I would love to see the Raiders. I don't care how we have to get there. I'd love to see them first, then the Patriots for the reasons we already talked about, and then if I have to, I'll face the Colts. And then you just got to pray that everybody in our defense brings, brings a set and has a chip on their shoulder after being embarrassed the last time around. Now, there's literally too many permutations for me to rattle through here in this segment, but rest assured, no matter who the Buffalo Bills play, the fact that we've clinched and we'll be going no matter what is certainly something I think we can all celebrate. Now, Chris, I think it's a good place to end this week, right? Yeah. Guys? Oh, Chris. Yeah, let's let's see you. Mr. I read off the guest names, and I end the show, and I give them a weird wrestling thing. What are you going to do for one guy? Who is Elf Artiaga in wrestling terms? Razor Ramon. <laughs> it's not hard to figure out. I love how you just have these things ready. Honestly, as a little kid, he was one of my favorites. Back when I watched 90s wrestling, Razor Ramon, oozing with machismo. Yeah. Those, those floral shirts he used to wear with the, the chest hair hanging out? Dude, that's my jam. Yeah, that's Elf. <laughs> Razor Ramon. Elf, we love you. This is in no way, shape, or form offensive. <laughs> Guys, we got to get out of here. Thank you all for showing up. Good luck to everybody's teams this week. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup.